Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. Well, we've entered into the Shabbat last night at evening, and you know, when you think about it, a lot can happen in a 24-hour period. I remember before, I, before the Lord apprehended my life that I read a book that was written by a well-known, I'm going to use the term Soviet, former Soviet author, and his name was, or is, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And don't ask me to say his last name again. <laughs> How many of you have heard of him? So it's pretty famous. He, was, uh, he ended up in the United States. He left the Soviet Union. He was uh, pretty much oppressed there. Pretty good author, actually, great author. But the name of the book that I read was A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. And please don't ask me to pronounce that name again. <laughs> but it was a fascinating book. It wasn't one of these type of books that you might make a, a you know, a slam-bang movie about, an action movie. But it was a, just went through the life of one individual named Ivan Denisovich and his 24-hour period in the Soviet Union's gulag. Who knows what a gulag is? I just—I know some of our, our younger people aren't that familiar with that, but some of us who are a little older who grew up in the time of the Soviet Union uh, remember the gulag was like their prison system, and it was notorious. Notorious for uh, mistreatment of prisoners. Notorious for just the, uh, the, the way that individuals were thrown into the gulag uh, in a way to get rid of them or to silence them, um, to make sure that they weren't speaking out against the government, etc. But as an unbeliever, I was fascinated by the concept of just one day going through one day. Think about your own life. You could have days where a lot happens in, in just one 24-hour period. You could have uh, other times where, you know, it seems pretty placid. And most of us appreciate Shabbat because when we are able to gather here together uh, faithfully, uh, it's different than the other six days that came before. And we can gather and do as we did today, worship the Lord, give Him thanks, uh, praise Him, pray, lift our hearts to Him, and all the good things that we do, dance, uh, all the good things that we are able to do as we worship Him. Scripture talks much about days and weeks and years and months and millenniums <laughs> and time. And I want to read you a couple passages of Scripture to refresh you, your memory, perhaps, about uh, these passages. They both were written by Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle. The first one was addressed to the Ephesians, and I know that some of you have this passage memorized. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. 
See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And lately I've shared this passage a few times because I feel like it's a word for us. We, we really need to keep this in the forefront. And there's a parallel passage written by the same author, Rav Shaul, that's recorded in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 5 and also verse 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time... Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And you can see the connection between these two passages and perhaps the, the phrase redeeming the time. Redeeming the time is very important. Now, Rav Shaul, in these passages and in other parallel passages that connect with these two, he, he is exhorting us, he's exhorting us now, 2,000 years later even, the same exhortation resonates with us. He's exhorting us to behave wisely. The Hebrew, or the, the biblical way to say it also goes back to the Hebrew language, uh, is the idea of walk, behavior, how we walk, how we conduct ourselves. He wants us to be, behave wisely, and also in the Colossians passage, he exhorts us to speak wisely. And let me ask you, have you ever said some things that you wish you hadn't said? <laughs> Maybe even some this morning that happened to you. You know, we have to be careful of the things we say because our words can be impacting. They can impact others around us. And that also goes in a positive direction. Don't, please don't take that necessarily to mean a negative thing because you can positively influence someone with your words. Most of us appreciate encouragement. How many of you like to be encouraged? We appreciate encouragement. The idea of being made strong, stronger, to be made stronger, in a sense to put, put muscles on us so that we can face whatever we're going to have to face in life. And each day of our lives, as we go through them, including this day, this Shabbat, each day of our lives, we face a challenge to make sure we do redeem the time and to also do what it says in Colossians, that we let our speech be with grace, that we, we make sure that we, we answer correctly those that might speak to us or question us. I particularly like when someone asks me, and I'm sure you would agree, asks me to explain to them something about the Bible or the Lord. How many like those kind of questions? I do. But there's a few that I don't like so much. When is the Lord going to return? Can you give me the day and the hour? I don't like that question so much. And then uh, there's a couple others that are connected with it. Can you tell me uh, when will the millennium start? Questions like that. Those I will refer to you all to answer those. But this idea of day, a 24-hour period, is a, is a very deep idea. It seems simple. I mean, the, the English word day is just three uh, letters, even as the Hebrew word for day, yom, is just three letters in the Hebrew language. And we have several questions that we use as greetings. Let me remind you that I, as far as I know, and I've thought about this, I have never once in my whole life had someone come up to me and ask me this question. How is your life going? Or, are you having a good life? No one, and I thought about this as I was even writing these notes. 
I cannot recall anyone ever asking me that. Are you having a good life? How is your life going? But I have heard this, and I've even said this. Perhaps you have said this also. Have you ever said to someone, how is your day going? Are you having a good day? That type of questions you probably have, because I certainly have too, and I've been asked that. And that question, how is your day going, or are you having a good day, um, can be spoken with real concern, genuine concern for that person, or just flippantly, just to speak. But I think if you, if you consider it carefully, that's showing an individual that you're connected with, even a spouse, a friend, a neighbor, showing them you care, and that you care what's happening in their life now is an important aspect of our faith. After all, we do say that Yeshua cares for us. We do say that he cares about every aspect of our lives. We do say that he, he cares to, to make sure that we are guided because he's a good shepherd. He wants to make sure that we're provided for because he's the one who provides for us. And he wants to make sure that we walk in his light because he's the light of the world. And, you know, you can go on and on with that type of an idea. Well, you might say, how important is one day? I mean, could one day really be that important in an overall life? Could it be? Does it really matter how we cash in that day, how we use that time, how we redeem the time as the Scripture says? Does it really matter? Does it matter if we choose to redeem the day just the way we please, according to our own fancy, our own desires, our own will? Does it really matter? I believe it does. And that's the topic that I want to leave you with today. Psalm 139, verse 16, reminds us that the Lord has final say in all matters concerning our time. And this is one of many parallel passages that say the same thing. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Did you notice that? The days fashioned me. It was all written before there was even one of those. I like the term, the sovereignty of God. I like the term, sovereign God. It just seems to, to, to exemplify just how powerful and great and how mighty the Lord is. He's sovereign over everything. But Scripture does speak and depict some rather exhilarating days in individuals' lives. Let me point out a few to, to you. Some exhilarating, what we might call good days, that Scripture points out to us that we, that we think about. I mean, the day that the rain ended at the time of Noah. How many of you think that was a hallelujah breakdown day? I do. That was a happy day. Oh, happy day. You know, that's what it was. The rain finally ended. And though the promise of God was that, you know, and the rainbow shows this, the, the keshet that he placed in the, in the Shemaim and heaven show it, but it had to be an exhilarating day after many days of rain. 
there was that day when the rain ended. And other events that just are a marvel that God did. I think the day that Abraham went to Har Moriah to Mount Moriah, and he was going to present up Isaac, and he looks off in the thicket, according to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 22, and he sees the ram caught in that thicket. Oh, happy day, especially for Isaac. <laughs> or the triumph of Moshe, Moses, and the children of Israel. After God says, stand still and see the salvation of God. And they look out and the sea parts. And it goes even further and says that the children of Israel walk through the Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. Oh, happy day for that one. <laughs> when it looks like Pharaoh was about to reconnect with them and take them over and place them back into bondage, God provided the way. Oh, happy day for that one. Or as the children of Israel about to enter the promised land, and there's Jericho in the way. And God commands them what to do about the walls of Jericho. And then as they follow through and obey what the Lord says, what happens? The walls came a-tumbling down, it says. <laughs> oh, happy day for that. Or what about the gladness of the Jewish exiles as they came back from Babylon, 70 years in Babylonian bondage, really? and under Babylonian authority. And they come back, and the text tells us that some of them had survived all that 70 years, and they came back to Jerusalem, and they saw Jerusalem again, the very thing they had seen when they left and been taken into exile. Jerusalem, they're able, some of them were old enough, and they survived long enough to be able to see Jerusalem again. Oh, happy day for that one when those exiles for the first time saw Jerusalem. Some had never seen Jerusalem before, never been there. They were born, they were born in exile. And what about the joy that came to each individual that we read about in Scripture that Yeshua healed through his power? What joy that was for them. What a day that was for them. The exhilaration of that. Can you imagine? Just read through the Bessarot, the Gospels, and you see person after person after person that Yeshua healed. What a joyous day that was. That day they woke up and it seemed hopeless, and by the end of the day, it was glorious because they had received a miraculous divine healing from the Son of God, Yeshua the Messiah. And what about Cornelius? <laughs> Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10. When the good news, when Kepha, Peter comes to Cornelius' household, and Peter finally gets what God's trying to say to him. And he comes to Cornelius' household, and he preaches Yeshua to Cornelius. It's a recorded, his message is recorded in Acts chapter 10. And Cornelius and his whole household are immersed. They believe, and they are immersed. And, oh, happy day when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, fell upon them, this Roman centurion and his household, just as the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the early Jewish believers. No difference. Oh, happy day for that. And, you know, you can fill in the blanks of all the different wonderful days that Scripture points about. All the people that were healed, oh, happy day. What about him who was walking and leaping and praising God at the gate, beautiful in Jerusalem? Now, 
But one of the great hallmarks of Scripture is this. <laughs> scripture offers us a realistic picture. Now, I would love to keep going all day and talking about all the wonderful great days that happen in individuals' lives, all the great scenarios, all the great things God did. But Scripture offers a realistic picture, and I appreciate that. I like the fact that we see some of the foibles and faults of individuals so that we might know that the only one who is truly perfect and blameless is who? Hashem, the Lord. And we get some, for example, in this week's parashah, if you had a chance to read it, it was a particularly tough day for certain people in the camp of Israel, in the wilderness wandering. This particular day, this one period of time was extremely difficult. And let me mention someone, Aaron, who was the dad. And Moshe, Moses, who was the uncle. And Miriam, who was the aunt, the aunt. What a day it was for them when we see what happened in Leviticus chapter 10. Verse 1. Then Nadab and Abihu, notice the next phrase, please, the sons of Aaron. Each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered Eshzarah, profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses, and actually he's Uncle Moses to them, Uncle Moshe, said to Aaron, Aaron is dad, he's Abba. He's Nadab and Avihu's father. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, no, please, these next two statements. By those who come near to me, near me, I must be regarded as holy. And notice the second part of the statement. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. And then there's this next statement for your dumb Aharon. So Aaron held his peace. What a difficult day that was for Aaron. His two sons were consumed. What a difficult day it was for Moses. One of many difficult days we read about in Scripture for Moses. Uncle Moses, Uncle Moshe. And at this point, Miriam, the sister of Aaron and Moses, is not mentioned, but it had to be a difficult day for Miriam, Aunt Miriam, as this happened. The truth is, when we look at this text from this week's Parashash Mini, the truth is that Nadav and Avihu, the sons of Aaron, they did something on that particular day, that one day, they did something which immediately cost them their future. Immediately. They offered profane fire Eshzarah before the Lord, which he had not commanded them to offer. As he says it, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. And I want to exhort us here today to make sure that you realize that each day that you have life, that you are living before the most holy God. That's not a trivial matter. That's a very significant matter. And that your actions, your words, your deeds are before the 
eyes and ears and mind and heart and being of the living God, the Holy One of Israel. Ultimately, God is the final arbiter of all such things. When it comes to the day or time, God is the final arbiter. You know, Solomon pondered this. If you read carefully Kohelet, the book of Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, you find quite a bit of discussion about time. You know, you know how it goes. There is a season for this, there's a season for that, and there's many other discussions of time within the book of Ecclesiastes. But here's one section from the Tree of Life version, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, again from Solomon. Verse 11, when the sentence against the crime is not swiftly carried out, the human heart is encouraged to do evil. Even though a sinner might commit a hundred crimes and prolong his days, Solomon says, yet I know that it will be well for those who fear God. There are good days ahead for you as you fear God. It will be well for those who fear God, for those who revere him, honor him. Verse 13, but it will not go well with the wicked, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. Now, the text never told us why Nadab and Abihu did what they did. It never tells us. It never gives us the inner motivation. It's left to speculation. Some rabbinical authorities say, well, they had been drunk. Other rabbinical authorities said they, they felt like they had the liberty to do what they wanted to do because, after all, you know, they were the sons of the high priest. But the text never actually tells us. But we do know this. Nadab and Abihu did not conduct themselves wisely. They did not redeem the time that day. Instead of redeeming the time and doing what God had commanded them, what did they do? They did what they willfully wanted to do. In a sense, if we can put it in other terms, they decided, I'm going to be my own God today. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, I really can't cast aspersions towards them because I know at times the human flesh wants to rise up in exactly that manner. For Nadab and Abihu, because they were before the whole congregation, they were the sons of the high priest. And if we could say it in modern terminology, they should have known better. It was very difficult consequences for them. It was immediate, and it was difficult. And what a terrible day, as I've mentioned already, it was for Aaron. Aaron just sat there quietly. I mean, what could he have said? God, you're wrong in what you did? <laughs> God is blameless. If you ever have this sense about you to blame God about something, let me say this one word, repent, because he's blameless. His ways are just and true. And he sees things exactly like they are. We, we judge by outward appearance. Sometimes we use our emotions to guide us. But God is righteous. He's just in all his ways. He knows a lot more about things than we do. And he sees the hearts of all men and women. But what a terrible day that was 
when Esh Zarah, strange fire, was offered up, and there were immediate consequences. It's a terrible day for Aaron. As I've already mentioned, it was a terrible day for Uncle Moses. It was a terrible day for Aunt Miriam. It was a terrible day for the whole community. I mean, think about it. There they were. They were to be the ones who would follow after their father, Aharon's footsteps. And that left only one son who could be the high priest. I think there's a lesson we can derive from the strange fire incident that's recorded in the Torah portion this week. There are many of them. But let me leave you this idea. One lesson we can derive from what happened to Nadav and Avihu. We can derive this lesson. Don't let your guard down. Don't think you have an easy day. Or, uh, this is my day. You know, God can have six, this is mine. Don't let that happen. It's a mistake. You can make a serious, even lethal mistake in your life by letting your guard down. Instead, act with godly wisdom each day of life that Adonai gives you. Act with wisdom. Be wise. It will be better for you. It will be better for us as we act wisely each day. And don't let our guard down. Because the words and the actions that are done during just one day of our lives, just one day, can impact us tremendously. Both for good and for evil. Now, Yeshua's length of ministry, when you think about it, historically, it was a relatively short time three, perhaps three and a half years, it's very hard to determine exact length of physical ministry, uh, counting from the point where he was immersed by Yohanan Machbil, John the Baptist. Yet each day of his ministry was far from ordinary. There was a Scottish preacher and a Bible commentator, actually quite a good commentator, that lived nearly 200 years ago. His name is Alexander McLaren. Now, this preacher, <laughs> he was born in 1826, about 200 years ago. And he lived for more than 84 years. Actually, historically, he lived longer than almost all the other great preachers around him. He outlived them all. He lived for approximately 84 years. He was active in ministry for 65 years. <laughs> so in terms of our topic today, when we talk about a day, well, here we're talking about days, but if you, just his ministry time, he had 23,725 days of ministry. Actually, more. Minimum, 23,725 days of ministry. When he started his ministry, he didn't know how many days he would have. By the way, when we wake up in the morning, do we know how many days we have ahead of us? We really don't. And some say, well, I'm young. I have many days. Oh, really? <laughs> Today's the gift that you have, and tomorrow's not promised to us. Well, one of the God-given days that McLaren redeemed, where he redeemed the time during one of his days, he decided to look at the life of Yeshua as it's recorded in the four Gospels. He looked at the life of Yeshua, and he realized this, and let me quote from him. Quote, he asked this question, quote, 
Did you ever notice the large space occupied in Matthew's gospel by the record of the last day of Jesus' public ministry, the very last day? He said, did you ever notice how much gospel space in the Brit in Halash the, in the and New Covenant is taken up by just the last day of public ministry of Yeshua? And you can follow this in the gospels. Check it out. And how much of all that, he continued, and how much of all that we know of Jesus' mission and message and the future of the world and of all men, we owe to the teaching that he gave in those last 24 hours of his life. Now we know he rose from the dead, he lives forever. But his last 24 hours of public ministry in Jerusalem, McLaren then supplies, and I think fascinatingly, in answer to his own question, did you ever notice the large space occupied in Yeshua's uh, ministry, the last day of his ministry? And then he answers the question and he fills in the blank. What happened in the last 24 hours of Yeshua's life? Just going by the gospel record, what happened? Here's what McLaren continued. Quote, let me put together in a word what happened on that day, the last day of Jesus' public ministry. Here's what happened. And he uses the Gospel of Matthew as a baseline. Of course, there's also Mark and Luke and Yohanan, John. And he recounts what Yeshua's last day of public ministry consisted of. Please listen. This is his last day in Jerusalem. Quote, it included... The conversation with the chief priests and elders about the baptism of John, the parable of the householder that planted a vineyard and digged a wine press, the parables of the kingdom of heaven, the controversy with the Herodians about the tribute money, the conversation with the Sadducees about the resurrection, with the Pharisee about the great commandment in the law, the silencing of the Pharisees by pointing to the 110th Psalm, the warning to the multitude against the scribes and Pharisees who were hypocrite, protracted and prolonged up to that wail of disappointed love when he says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And as though that had not been enough for one day, that's what happened just in the temple area on the last day of Yeshua's public ministry. McLaren points out, and I'll continue, as if that, that is not enough for one day, when Yeshua is going home from the temple to find, for a night, to find... In that quiet little home of Bethlehem, of Bethany, the rest that he wants, as he rests wearily on the, the slopes of the Mount of Olives, guess what? The disciples come to him. His Talmudim come to him on that one day. After all, we've already said, they come to him, and as he's resting, they say, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming. And there falls all that prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world, the parable of the fig tree, the warning not to suffer the thief to come, and the promise of reward for the faithful and wise servant, the parable of the ten virgins, and in all probability the parable of the king with the five talents, and the words that might be written in letters of fire that tell us the final course of all things and the judgment of life eternal and death everlasting. Lasting. I'm tired just saying it. All those interactions Yeshua had in his last public day. McLaren concludes, says, all this was the work of one of the days of the Son of Man. End quote. Friends, are you aware of the great gift of life you have? Are you aware of it? 
And are you aware that tomorrow is not really promised to you? It's not guaranteed to anyone, regardless of our current age. Are you aware of that? And if you responded to that question, that rhetorical question in your own heart, with a kind of a, yes, I am aware of the great gift of life that God has given me, then, of course, I have one more question I want to pose to you. Friend, if you're aware of that, that God has given you life, and the day to live it, will you endeavor daily, day by day, to live according to the word of Yeshua? Will you do that? If you're aware of the life he's given you, will you live it in accord with his will? Now, we all know that there are, from generation to generation, there are the Nadavs and the Baihus. Generation to generation, in every generation, there, there are people like that. And you know how such people operate. People who major on doing their own thing. People who choose not to walk in harmony with the Word of God. People who will not submit to godly authority. People who live their lives according to their own flesh and their own desires. This is a Nadab Abihu type of life. It ended up with them presenting strange fire before the Lord and the Lord immediately judging them. Now, the Nadab and Abihu incident teaches us that living such a life, such a life as they lived, is not acceptable for the Lord. He doesn't accept that. In fact, God calls his people to live in a new and a living way by the power of his Holy Spirit through the transformation of his Holy Spirit in our own thinking, as Romans 12 says. I love how the Tree of Life version puts it. Many of you have this memorized. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I urge you, brothers and sisters, the apostle wrote, I urge you to do this, to present yourself to the Lord. Now, I want to conclude here try to wrap some of this up and go back to where we started. But here are five thoughts, five thoughts that are applicable to each of us here today. And I'm going to say it in a very subjective way. I'm going to state these five things. For example, number one, thought number one. Each day I should be mindful of God's love for me as well as his love for every person that will cross my path that day. Now, it's pretty easy for us to rejoice in God loves me, God loves me, and we should because he does love us. He loves you today. But just as he loves you, he loves every other person that will cross your path in a given 24-hour period. Does that mean he approves of their way of living? Does it, their lifestyle, their actions, their words? Not necessarily. But he so loved them that he sent his son to die for them. And that them includes you and myself here today. 
So each day I should be mindful God's love for me as well as the love for every per his love for every person that will cross my path. That means the simple clerk at the dollar store, at Target, at the gas station, or wherever you go, that simple clerk there, God loves that person. And again, I'll emphasize, that doesn't mean he necessarily approves of that person's lifestyle, but he loves that person. And that brings me to point number two, thought number two, to consider, again, stated subjectively, I should be diligent to obey those things which the Lord directs me to do. What happened with Nadab and Abihu? They didn't do what they knew they should have done. They did their own thing. That's in simplistic terms, but that's what happened. They did their own thing. So I should be diligent to obey those things which the Lord directs me to do. And you know what? No ifs, ands, or buts about that. We just need to obey the Lord. That's what we should be doing each day. Seeking to obey the Lord, which brings me to thought number three. Number three, I should be in harmonious fellowship with godly people. I've been at this a long time, and I can tell you there's a real Achilles heel sometime in people's lives when they think they can be out and be connected in all the ways of the world and the thoughts of the world and activities of the world, and that things will go well for them. They don't. We need each other. We are connected as, if you're a believer, to, you're connected to your fellow believers sitting by you. And we each have what to contribute to the community. But I should be in harmonious fellowship with godly people. I should not follow those people given to living their lives for themselves. And thought number four. I should keep in the forefront of my thinking that God has a plan for me, and by his grace and his empowerment, I will walk in all the will of God this day. He has a plan for us, and each day we have the opportunity to step forward into that plan. Will we do that, or will we do our own thing? Will we go the way of the Lord, or will we go the way of Nadab and Avihu? That's a question that's been asked since that event took place, that fateful day in the life of Aaron and Moses and Miriam and the children of Israel. And lastly, number five, most of all, I should always be aware that my times are in his hands. Today is his gift to me now. Tomorrow is a gift not yet given to me. Today is his gift to me now. Tomorrow is a gift not yet given to me. And let me conclude again with what Rav Shul Paul said. Where we started here today, my exhortation to us is to redeem the time. There are many people that need the Lord. Some of them are crossing our pathways each day, and we're too close-lipped about it. Some are needing us to help them and guide them and others have that things to offer to us if we will connect in a good way with them but remember again ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16 see then that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil and again in conclusion colossians chapter 4 right where we began 
Rob Joel again writes write similar thinking, uh, records similar thinking to the Colossians in chapter 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Again, he uses the phrase, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace. How often should our speech be with grace? Always. That's a challenge, isn't it? Let your speech always be with grace, especially when people around us aren't necessarily speaking to us with grace. But we're not called to their standard. We're called to the standard of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Will you please stand with me as we conclude? I'd like us to pray together. And just where you're at today and I'm, me up here, wherever you're at today and wherever you're at in this, this particular day, please take some inventory. We just came through a Passover season where some of us, um, you know, had our fill of unleavened bread. <laughs> well, let's get rid of the leaven. I mean, sometimes we forget that Passover, that whole teaching, the whole idea behind Passover is to get rid of the leaven. And it's not just for one week or eight days in Passover season. It's for 365 slash 366 days. So please bow your heads with me and just take a moment uh, where you're at. And if you, you have something that, you know, you're holding back from the Lord, we please just give it to him? This is, we're not going to be blowing the shofar about this. This is between you and the Lord. But give it to him. Make sure that your day is really his day where he's the sovereign Lord over it. And your relationships, make sure they're right. Make sure you're doing what's right in this sight. Cast down the self-will and receive God's will instead. And perhaps you've had situations that you felt like your, your, your day is, you, you don't know if God even has a good plan for you. Well, let me tell you, he does. Ask him for the, the working out of his plan in your life. Ask him to intervene, to bring about his purposes. He's good. And if you ask him for bread, friends, he's not going to give you a stone. He said, seek and you shall find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be open to you. So ask him. Treat him as the God who's near, not the one you've made far away. Treat him as he really is. Because in him we live and move and have our being, it says in the book of Acts. Turn it all to him. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life that you've given us. We thank you that you have come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you that in you is life, O oh Lord. Lord, I pray for each person here, each of us, that we would not fall short of your will, that we would do as your word instructs, we would redeem the time. We would recognize that you are the sovereign Lord, that our times are in your hands. Lord, I pray that you will use us even more than you have used us in the past. And that you would anoint us for your service in a new way by the power of your Ruach HaKodesh. Thank you for your favor today through the shed blood of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah. Bless each marriage, O oh Lord. Each marriage represented here, 
Bless, Lord, each man and woman who've come in holy matrimony, even, even in the past or, or recently. Lord, bless their lives, please. Lord, we pray for children that are wandered off in strange places, at least to us, across the seas. Lord, please touch their lives. Please intervene in their lives. We pray also, Lord, for those that are, are at our workplace that sometimes give us a difficult time. Lord, please intervene not only in their hearts and lives, but intervene in our hearts as well. And Lord, we pray also particularly for those that are in governmental places that we may never speak to directly, but their decisions made on any given day could impact us greatly. Lord, let them not go the way of folly. Let them make choices and decisions that are good and right in your sight, that will withstand the test of time. May they not offer before you decisions that are like strange fire, that are a reproach to you. Thank you, Lord. We know that you do exceeding abundantly, above and beyond anything we could ask of you according to the power of your Holy Spirit that works within us. Please work within our lives, Lord, within our congregation, within our families, within our nation. Lord, please work that you would be regarded as holy before all the peoples. In Yeshua's name, amen. I'd like to conclude with the ironic benediction. I think it's very appropriate uh, because in this week's Torah portion, the parasha, Aaron lost two of his sons, two of his sons. And a little later on in the book of Numbers, he will be commanded, Aaron, Aharon, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, will be commanded to pronounce, speak the blessing over the children of Israel. And the Lord tells Aaron, after all the pain he went through, the Lord tells Aaron that when you speak this over the children of Israel, I will set my name upon them. Now, I'm not Aaron, neither are you, but God has not changed. And how many of you want him to be impressed in your life and in your day and your heart and your words and all that? I know that's the heart of most of us here. So let's bow our heads. And I want to pronounce this ancient blessing, the Berkata Kohanim, first in Hebrew, then in English. And then, Dean, do you have a shofar? Could you please dismiss us after the Berkata Kohanim, please? Let's bow our heads. Yevarechecha Adonai veyishmerecha. Ya er Adonai panavalecha vehunecha. Yisa Adonai panavalecha veyaasemlecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his favor upon you. And may the Lord give you his well-being, his peace that passes all understanding as only he can give through the name of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. 
We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.